Don, we're opening our own business. Are we now? It's you're going to do all of the work because we're opening an aquarium. I I'm honestly okay with that. We are this is the the first iteration of Fisherman Don's Fish Emporium where you will teach us <laughs> anything and everything that us and our listeners want to know about fish. Come on down to the Fish Emporium. I had a friend in high school who was called Fish. That's it. Wait, like like a name name or like a nickname? It, well, no, it was her nickname because of the way she smelled. Ah, oh, I was asking <laughs> if they were a fan of the band. <laughs> that's, uh, I mean, if they if she embraced it, then good for her. If not, that that's I doubt she did. <laughs> I mean, I had a guy who had his teachers calling him Cankles. Uh, that's really bad that was what he wanted people to call and you know that's that was what that was his choice but <laughs> on, on this podcast we relive high school <laughs> i mean kind of but uh so yeah don we're uh we've had a couple we've had some people clamoring for you specifically to talk more about fish because we haven't given them enough i mean who am i to disappoint the masses that's right. So, yes, everyone, welcome to another episode of Pokey Science. On this episode, we're getting Don back into his natural element. We are going to be talking about fish tanks and keeping fish and caring for fish, and then how exactly you would not be able to because in the Pokemon world, because Love Disc is 30 pounds heavy. I'm looking at different Love Disc numbers. It's a range, you know, Love Disc, Love Disc has a winter weight and a summer weight. You're right. I'm sorry. Love Disc is 20 pounds. I didn't want to, I don't want to put that on Love Disc. You know what? No fat shaming here. If Love Disc puts on weight at Thanksgiving. That's right. Uh, but yeah, so we'll, we will all get into that in a minute. So right now, let's just hit the news. Does anyone want to say the thing? The news. Cue the music. <laughs> That's the thing. Madison, do you want to start us off with science news? Yeah, so there's a startup trying to bring back the uh, Tasmanian tiger. The the Tasmanian tiger? I do love me a good thylacine. What are they <laughs> What are they trying to do? Or how are they trying to do it? I mean like it's going to be like essentially like using gene editing? Jurassic Park style. It's not the same as like Jurassic Park though. They're not like they're like trying to uh they're trying to like create an embryo from like DNA and then do like the sort of like stem cell dealy do. I, I think so. That's what it looks like. Um I just was excited because I have fallen in love with this animal ever since Science Friday did a thing on them <laughs> three years ago. What do you what do you what do you like about it? What's cool about it? I mean like it's not a dog, it's not a tiger, but that's what it looks like. <laughs> it's a marsupial <laughs> with a pouch. It's definitely a cool animal. There's that um well, it's got that huge like and the pouch is backwards on it too, which is really cool. There's another interesting thing with thylacines where it's like their jaw can open. Like the articulation is like 110 degrees or something crazy. Like super crazy bite width. Why would you need a bite width that large? Chomp. <laughs> what are they trying to eat? Kangaroos. There's definitely a lot of like discussion on like why is this a focus when we have so many like species around the planet that are about to go extinct? But it is, you know, it's interesting to think about that. Like we really are getting closer and closer to 
I mean, like science fiction being science reality. Gattaca. <laughs> I understand, like, you know, that, like, you know, there's the problems, the very glaring problems and all that. But there's, like, who's to say that some of the work that's done here can't also help in those situations, too? Well, that's been kind of the argument for it, though, is that, like, it's applicable. And we, you know, testing it on a creature that went extinct within the last century makes a lot more sense than testing it on a mammoth. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot more genetic material for, like, the thylacine still around. And, like, the whole surrogacy thing. Because, like, the way they've cloned sheep and stuff, you could probably maybe pull it off with a thylacine. And, like, a, uh, I guess, like, a Tasmanian devil would probably be the closest living relative if you went, like, an artificial womb route or something. I mean, I, I would, I, I hope, I hope they go for it. I think it would be really cool to have an animal like that back on the landscape. But it will definitely make people on this podcast very happy. I just want Jurassic Park. <laughs> you say <not>. that, <laughs> you say that, but there's like, as bad as the movies are, there's like five movies as to why you don't want Jurassic Park. I There are six highly... movies? Okay, well, I only recognize one movie. But there's five that make, that are bad. <laughs> But they all end pretty terribly. Well, yeah, but like... Okay, just making sure we're on the same page. <laughs> oh, yeah, I just meant there's five I'm making bad sure it's ones. not Christopher being like, well, Jurassic Park, Fallen Kingdom, that's what we want to happen. I think the takeaway from the original Jurassic Park is that we should definitely do this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they kept doing it, so hey, he, John Hammond was on to something. Uh, <laughs> well, he spared no expense. I, I think like it's a good point, though, is that... Like, I, I really, I don't think everyone really understands that, um, how, how much like, you know, the whole idea of we really don't have control over whatever happens if we do this, <laughs> because, you know, we tend to think that we're in such control over science and its processes, but like, we are not. Well, you know, life, uh, finds a way. Yeah. Thank you. Sorry, I, I just been listening to like Jurassic Park and Lost World in an audiobook too, so I'm so ready <laughs> with the the Ian Malcolm quotes right now. <laughs> I'm still gonna watch the the Fallen Kingdom one too, and it comes. I to have to. I, I think you know what? We should, We're not gonna well, get into it. I'm not gonna get into my rants. Right, about let's keep going. Right. Jurassic All right, Parks. let's move else? into let's move into uh, Pokemon news. Yeah, let's. Uh, d- so first Wait. off, Don. Oh, Madison. I missed the uh, the fun announcement about our new Narwhal Lord. Oh, yes. Yes. For all of our fans, we are also, in addition to being a Pokemon podcast, a Reign of Fire podcast, we are also now a Satitan uh, <laughs> appreciation podcast. Madison, yes. share share your, your love for this Pokemon. Oh, I just think it's gorgeous. <laughs> it's the best. I'm, I'm, I'm like really excited. I don't know how I feel about the bike thing, but... <laughs> I believe in whatever the uh, the future dragon is. Let's go that one. Fred oh no, I, ha- I have to. Can... I have to go with the past because I'm totally on like that professor. <laughs> no, Fred Flintstone dragon can deal with it. <laughs> Maridon is the one you want. Yeah, whatever doesn't get hit as much by Zacian. <laughs> yeah, because the next time I can use the dragon, <laughs> Zacian will exist again, and so whatever yeah. loses less badly to Zacian. Well, unless unless they don't let Zacian go to you know this new gen, which is uh, quite which well, is in quite two possible. Years, in two years, they'll have another restricted format, and they'll let all the restricteds come, and Zacian will be back, and it's going to be terrible. Hold on, but like, can you can you use everything now? Of the there restricted, are, are, yes. Aren't there like yeah, no, no, 
every Pokemon is viable right now. Well, there's now. no restricted that you can't use. There's mythicals, but those don't count. But there's no restricted that's illegal to use. No, I thought not everything was available in the decks. Sorry. Not from rest- every restricted is. Oh, though. okay. Okay. Got it. Um, so I guess it's already going to have started by the time that we, that this podcast airs, but the, uh, world championships is London in London is kicking off. <laughs> yeah. Tomorrow, tomorrow night at 3am on the East coast here. <laughs> you can, you can watch the Twitch stream and get your Pokemon code. Yeah. I'd like to give shout outs to, uh, to Adi and Soheeb and Izzy and, um, everyone else that assumes they're getting shout outs for me. I'm just blanketing shout out, uh, Anyone I'm in communication with about VGC, here's your shout out. You know who you are. I think that was my favorite thing from Chris today in in our group chat was, well, you can just get the Pogo code from the stream. Christopher, it starts at three in the morning. Well, they they, they are doing them throughout the day. It's, no, it, no, it's only during the Pogo stream and you only have an hour to redeem it. it but they but they do it. Mul- they do it multiple times throughout the stream. It'll be fine. It'll be, it'll be cool. I'm getting my Pokemon that I don't need because I already have all the ones they're giving it. I will get them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, and this is also, I think this is the last turn the last worlds that um, Pokemon tournament is, is doing. I believe that's true. Because we have the new championship series after worlds and uh, there's like 14 tournaments or something like that. Regional tournaments. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> And they're starting in September, but Don, what is the bad news? Uh, we will not be having any VGC majors until the new year. It's very sad, but like I understand it, but I'm also sad. I mean, it was kind of weird though last time that you know after 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 Normally Worlds, we get a post Worlds format. We're not going to get to have I guess Series 13 in person events. Um, so that's I guess kind of a bummer. We won't get to have that insanity. It's well. It's also weird because they said, because like the other ones, they kind of laid out stuff, and for VGC, they were like, "We're thinking of like reworking the championship circuit." Oh. Yeah. So we don't like, I don't. We don't know what it's going to look like, really. Like like locals and all that kind of stuff. But well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see for for some more info. But we'll probably like with worlds happening this weekend, we're probably going to get some new Pokemon or some <gasps> kind of news or yeah. something. Cause last year we got, or, or last gen, we got some pretty big. Yeah. Uh, we got Galar Weezing. Weezing. Yeah. Galar Weezing. And then I we also there. got, we got the V card announcement for the TCG. Yeah. I, I just liked the one before where they showed off Crabominable or uh, no, it was Crabrawler and they just showed it KOing Spiritle and Kangaskhan and the whole room just erupted into cheers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great moment for everyone. Whatever. You all know Smeargle made VGC great. <laughs> I'm pro Smeargle. Uh, some other quick little Pokemon news. In Go, we have GoFest happening next weekend, last weekend of August. And that's where you, where you will be able to get like Buzzwool, Nihiligo, uh, Feramosa, and Zerkitry. Um, assuming you play during the multiple hour event that GoFest typically is. And then there's also a uh, a battle event that we kind of already talked about, but a battle event happening in the Go game. And then Unite's adding Tyranitar, which I know there's been some controversy for the, the coin cost for Tyranitar. 
I don't play Unite enough to get to know too much about it. I am just very excited to see what outfits they give Godzilla. You know, like, legit, I agree with Lucas, though. Like, give us outfits in other games. I will pay for it. I have already told you that if I can use my birthday hat Charizard in Pokemon Go, I should be able to use other outfits in VGC. Fashion is the most important stat. If I'm gonna lose, I'm gonna lose with style. That's my rule for it. That's my rules for Elden Ring and Dark Souls and all of those. Fashion is the most important, <laughs> important stat. As long as you don't fat roll, fashion is the most important stat. I don't know. I, tuxedo Tyranitar is pretty ugly, though. Is that the first like yeah tuxedo, hollow wear? Tuxedo oh, Tyranitar. It looks weird because they they put a top hat on it and it doesn't fit his head. He's very fancy. I, for some reason, like Western Tyrant, with like Sand Street, like Western like Tyrant. <laughs> yeah, a little vest. And <laughs> like an old timey, like saloon <laughs> vest. Yeah. I, I really want Belly Dancer Tyrant <laughs> She's got the abs. I'm trying to think of like some of the other, other like sets that they've done because the swimwear one has been pretty popular, but I don't think T Tars likes water too much. Yeah, they're typically not. You give it like a full piece, like 1920 swimsuit. <laughs> Oh, like yeah, like a like a, a stripy stripy bathing suit. I was gonna say like a uh, like a diving like a diving unit, like an old timey like like Scooby Doo diving ghost. <laughs> that, and then you don't even know it's you don't even know it's Tyranitar. Man, we're giving them so many options right now. <laughs> License us, hire us. <laughs> we want yeah, seriously. <laughs> bikini Tyranitar. <laughs> It's the itty itty bit polka dot bikini titar yes but i think that about does it for the pokemon news that we wanted to hit unless there was anything else you all wanted to touch on no but please give us clothes in other games <laughs> yes clothes in other games all right let's uh don you ready to uh flip that close sign to open let's do it all right so uh, like I said, we're talking about fish care and fish keeping. And so just for a, you know, a very quick bit of background, uh, humans have been keeping fish for significantly long time, but it's, uh, it's thought that around 4,500 years ago, uh, ancient Sumerians were some of the first to build artificial ponds to house them. The ancient Chinese were some of the first to have successful breeding operations with carps about, uh, 1000 BC. And obviously nowadays, you know, you can have your own little you can have a fish tank of whatever size as long as your house is able to uh, to fit it. So, Don, what we wanted to do with this episode is just kind of tap into your wealth of knowledge to sort of set us up and maybe some of our listeners up for some success. Uh, because aquariums, fish are, are very popular, you know, uh, pet to have around the house. Uh, but some people tend to kind of get in a little bit in over their heads. So, like, when you're looking about setting up a fish tank, it's a lot more complicated than I think people can really like give it give credit to it so what sort of general considerations do people need to have when setting up their tanks oh yeah so um i guess if you're setting up a fish tank like there's several one one is to figure out how much room you are willing to accommodate to that tank like what what's the footprint um you're willing to commit because most most fish prefer um width to height in regards to like the dimensions of a fish tank um, there are some fish that prefer like verticality in the water column, but as a general rule, like the footprint of your tank really is going to set up like what your sort of fish capacity is. Um, and that's like, also you have to consider, you know, fresh and salt water and like, well, there are more factors to consider with salt water. It's not like really as much more complicated, 
um, as people seem to think it is. Like, you, I, I've definitely heard a lot of people while I've worked with fish tanks and stuff talking about how, oh, I'd love to have a saltwater tank, but it's like so much extra work. As long, I mean, if you're trying to get in the corals and um, various invertebrates and stuff, it can definitely be a lot more work. Like, you have to monitor the water chemistry much more strictly sort of like a fish only tank setup is it's very approachable like I, I wouldn't inherently dissuade anyone like it is more work but it's not that much more work to go saltwater and it, it is saltwater well you know is, is it more work up front to kind of get it established and then it's just a little extra bit of monitoring or or is, are there more steps along the way um once tanks? i mean once you have up and running and like with a saltwater tank so water's going to evaporate from any fish tank um so with saltwater tanks you have to account for salinity so with a saltwater tank you're if water evaporates, you want to only add fresh water to it because your salt is not going to evaporate. Um, but you will, like, if you're doing, like, a water change, just part of general maintenance, then you, you will have to, like, monitor your salinity to know how much salt to replace when you do that. So it's, like, it's like a little more, but it's not a lot. But, like, fit, taking fresher salt and then going into, like, a little more specification with your tank. Like, if you want to just go just fresh water, like, classic plastic plants, very simple sort of aquarium that a lot of people grow up with or if you want to do live plants um then you have to consider you know lighting uh salt water same with coral there's specific lighting as well you have to take into account um you can really make a fish tank as complicated as you want it to or you can have it be very simple like you can have a very nice tank um with like a low fish load and heavily planted there you don't even need filtration if you have a heavy enough plant and low enough excuse me bio load and so you, you talked a little bit about plants, but when people are making a tank, you know, everyone obviously, you know, you get the fish and you get the water, you get the balance, but what other things do you need to make a viable space for the fish and a happy place for the fish? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of fish tank stuff has is like, there's a lot of, you know, it depends or depending on kind of situation stuff. So one thing you have to look at is water chemistry. So you want to look at, um, uh, having like fish tanks are really their own little environment. So you've enough um, like nitrifying bacteria that helps convert uh, nitrates, which are like and stuff like that from ammonia into like nitrogen from um, like fish waste and uneaten food. Um, that's all things that are like will live in like your filter media and stuff like that. And also plants will naturally do some of that as well. Um, so that's something to take into account is like how is your fish waste being broken down? Are you doing filtration? Are you just doing like live plants and natural processes? Things like that are also uh, big factors for figuring out, just planning out a fish tank. Gotcha. And then I feel like there's there's this misconception about owning fish because I feel like most people think fish won't live very long when you get them. But how long could you, like obviously it varies species to species, but how long, you know, would, would you say a fish is supposed to live in a fish tank? Yes. Three days. I, I, I really think... Um, Three days. Yes, we're going to heavily disagree on that one. Um, I really think <laughs> most fish are... Um, like, the, the threshold for, like, fish health, I think, is, like... I think I think fish are often, like, unfairly considered to be, like, a disposable pet. Or, like, not a real pet. Where, like, you could definitely have, like, many, many... So, I have a pair right now of uh, blind cave tetras that I think I got at Petco for like five dollars a piece and i got those fish as a present in 2012 and they're both still doing great today um and that's just like like an inexpensive like pet store fish that's not like a super high end i mean i had a saltwater fish i had a sailfin tang that lived 13 years betta fish can live you know two five years easy um depending on the situation uh goldfish can live decades 
um, same with koi, things like that. So like a lot of fish species can live much longer than people think they can. It's really just a matter of being committed to the fish and um, you know taking into account the water quality and things like that. Um, another common misconception yeah, misconception is that fish will you know grow. People, I, I'm sure people have heard that fish will grow to the size of their container, um, and that's actually not true. Fish are really hampered by water quality. They've done studies where they've taken like a rainbow trout and put it in basically a, a clear tube that restricted its movement. And, but they gave it, it was a flow through system. So the trout always had, you know, fresh water and plenty of food. And that trout grew to the point where it was just like sausaged out and stuck in its, like the, the pipe it lived in. So like really like saying that, Oh, a fish doesn't need any more space. Like this fish normally, you know, like a, we'll say a Panther grouper, which is a fish that people will buy and put in like a 30 gallon saltwater tank, even though it can reach over 20 inches in length. Um, and people would be like, oh, well, it'll grow to the size of the tank. And that's actually not true. If it stops growing, it's because you've stunted its growth, um, not because it naturally adapts to the size of its tank. Yeah, you don't, you, you can't get a uh, like a, a Newfoundland and be like, well, I live in an apartment, so he'll just stop at 30 pounds. So uh, I guess Lucas wanted to, to make sure that we were sharing some of the, the fish love around Don. So if someone was looking to start a fish tank, what's something beyond the traditional goldfish that someone could start with? Um, so depending on, again, depending on how deep you want to go, and there's a lot of great, uh, resources out there. There's lots of books, um, fish, fish keeping is a very old hobby. Um, there's a lot of really great YouTube channels as well to check out. Um, if you're just going like classic freshwater, um, there's lots of great setups for betta fish and people have been moving now away more from like the super tiny tank with the betta into more like, cause betta fish do like, they love live plants. They love heavy cover and you can do like a very low maintenance tank with a lot of cool live plants and stuff and not too demanding lighting and a beta and have like a really cool tank like that. Um, another good, uh, intro thing. That's actually not a fish. Um, they're a little tougher, but they can still take like very limited. You could do really cool things with a small tank, um, would be some freshwater shrimp, like neocardenia, like cherry shrimp. Um, and then there's uh, like a lot of great species of Petra, um, that don't get too large and aren't too um, needy, um, like Buenos Aires tetras, uh, bleeding heart tetras, red eye tetras. There's really a lot of great fresh spe- freshwater fish species, and in saltwater as well. Generally, you'll need a larger tank for saltwater, um, and it helps with stability. Like the larger your tank, the less water chemistry, like the more stable the water chemistry will be. Um, but a lot of species of clownfish are really good uh, starter saltwater fish. A lot of damselfish, um, blue devils, green chromies. Some can be a little aggressive, like the blue devils, but there's a lot of really great fish out there um, that are very easy, that are still like kind of more oddball. Like you can look into a lot of catfish, um, like striped Raphaels or upside down catfish for freshwater are kind of cool. Goldfish. We were trying to stay away from the goldfish, man. So everyone knows and goldfish. Goldfish really do require a lot more space than people do. A goldfish in a bowl is really not the ideal situation. Um, goldfish can get quite large and they produce a lot of waste. <laughs> Whatever fish I feed the turtle probably feeder goldfish but goldfish really do need a larger tank than most people think um if you're looking at like a smaller tank fish like bettas um some killifish killifish nev laterally uh, live naturally in like um annual ponds so you can do cool things with like nano tanks like a five gallon or an eight gallon tank with like a um like a betta with the proper filtration or with small killifish um endlers live bearers are really cool they're like a super teeny tiny guppy if uh you guys look them up on Google or whatever, you'll see they're really, really small. But they can have some good personality and they're kind of interesting. You can have quite a few in a small tank, which um, 
nice for like a desktop fish, I would say. And then we, I think Lucas has talked about the, the pistol shrimps are the ones that uh, that'll shatter the the glass, right? Uh, so mantis shrimp of the two, um, will they um can shatter glass with their raptorial claws. Pistol shrimps are actually a really interesting aquarium fish because they're not fish shrimp, but they're very small and but they'll have a symbiotic relationship with a uh, watchman gobies. And there's quite a few species of uh, those, and they're also small. So you can do like a cool uh, nano tank again. Like you really have to consider your water chemistry with a small tank like that. But um, they'll cohabitate, and the mantis shrimp or pistol shrimp will dig a burrow, and the goby will live in that burrow with the shrimp. And the goby is sort of like the watchdog for the pistol shrimp is like a guy with a gun, bad eyesight. Um, so it's sort of a fun combination you can maintain in a small tank, and you can really see it. It's a great TV show that you can watch. Yeah, at home. and it's um, it's it's they're really cool too. It's a really cool thing to have because. It's, it's a partnership that really shines in a small fish tank. If you have a really large tank, like the pistol shrimp and the goby are both maybe two inches and like they're easy to lose in a large tank. So they really shine in a small tank. That's a good, that's a good, that's a good little tip there. And then what are they, what are they protecting each other from in the tank? Like, are you putting in something for them? to? Oh, like... So in the tank, really nothing. Um, it, it's in, in, in the wild. Um, the, what happens is the pistol shrimp can dig burrows and it has a, samus cannon for an arm and the goby has good eyesight but other than that it doesn't really do a whole lot so the goby will sit at the mouth of the burrow and when um it sees like a threat it'll twitch its fins and shoot backwards into the burrow and the pistol shrimp will back down into the burrow as well but like guard the entrance um so the go and but like because the goby's there with its eyesight the pistol shrimp is able to go farther out of the burrow um, to forage for food than it normally would feel safe to because it has bad eyesight. Gotcha. Okay. And then when it senses danger, it just blindly fires out of the hole. I, th- I think once it's in the hole, I would assume the antenna and stuff, it could probably detect a threat at that point. So, all right. Well, that's some, um, that's a, a quick little quick and dirty uh, fisherman Don tips for, for starting. Yeah, I apologize for rambling. I, I can just talk about fish and aquariums for, well, that's why we're hours. doing this episode to hear you talk about them, Don. But we are not here to only to start real aquariums. We're here to start some Pokemon home aquariums. So let's jump in with some of the mods. Yeah, um, let's get to it. All right. First, Don, we ha- well, I will issue the correction because I got it wrong. Uh, we're going to talk Love Disc, who is only 19 pounds, not 30 pounds. Yes, still um, much, much larger. By by a little pieces. bit. By 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 a by a bit. Uh, so, so what is what is Love Disc? So Love Disc, um, one of our favorite like randomly introduced Pokemon from Gen three. Um, I feel like Gen two and three just had a lot of Pokemon. They sort of just threw them into the game and then forgot about <laughs> and then forgot about them. So Love Disc has a lot of similarities. Um, despite I think I I want to say you catch Love Disc in saltwater or is it like on like a waterfall or something? It, it says it's in like the warm season with coral reefs. So okay, I just can't remember like where in game you catch it. But it's, so coral reef, either way, we'll say that's incorrect. So Love Disc is based on the discus fish, and the discus fish is a freshwater uh, group of cichlids that are native to the Amazon River basin, so South America and freshwater. Um, and their 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 body proportions aren't too different than a love disc. They're not quite as heart shaped, but they are laterally compressed, so they're very tall, but they're very skinny. And they're a very very popular aquarium fish. Love disc, I believe, talks about how they like they'll mate for um, like they'll pair off and all that stuff like that. 
and how if you see a love disc, it's like a symbol of love. Um, and discus fish actually have very interesting, um, that's part of the reasons why I think they're so popular in the hobby, is that discus fish have very interesting uh, like reproductive strategies as well, where they will pair off and then actually stay with each other, and they exhibit parental care, which is fairly rare in fish. Um, so they'll pair off and like stay with their mate, and then they'll actually raise the young, which will feed off a mucus coating on the adult's body initially. Mm, yum. Nothing says love like mucus coating. Yeah, so they're very... Um, <laughs> so they... Actually, so Chris, you're not there yet. Nothing says parent love until you've been thrown up on. In the middle of the night, and you're too tired to shower. That's the mucus coating. Yeah, <laughs> the mucus coating. Well, this is like reverse. <laughs> but um, so the uh, adults often feed on like algae and like detritus and small invertebrates. Um, but the larvae, up until a certain size, feed basically entirely off um, the skin secretions of the parents. So that's like a very interesting um, adaptation from those fish. And they said they live in very heavy, heavy uh, water, heavy like heavy um planted water systems in south america um and they, like their their body shape allows them to maneuver through like stalks of uh i won't say seagrass because it's freshwater but like stalks stalks of freshwater plants and that's sort of how they avoid predators as well did you sorry did you say that they that they partner off yes uh discus fish um will have like a mating you'll have like a mating pair um a lot of cichlids um will pair off but discus fish like i said they exhibit the paired parental care yeah, well, um, that's to a, a large degree than a lot of uh, cichlids. That's it, because love disc. Uh, I I forget which gen it was, but it said that if it loses it loses its couple, uh, it becomes despondent and then basically uh-huh. and then basically leaves it vulnerable to Pelipper eating it. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, I I'm not exactly sure how upset discus fish get if they lose their partner. I would imagine there's some degree of distress though. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe they are looking for their partner. Maybe they, they come closer to a surface and maybe a bird does get them. Uh, the, uh, the, the other bit, so I, I believe it's uh, Moon, but it talks about how Love Disc is sort of, uh, you know, couples, human couples love them. They see it as a sign of eternal love and all that. And it's the hotels in Alola uh, actually release Love Disc into the pools uh, for the honeymooning couples. <laughs> Well, I mean, maybe if they're a saltwater pool and, you know, it's, um, maybe it's like that sort of situation. Um, maybe that's not like horrific animal abuse. Um, I wouldn't recommend releasing discus fish into your, um, into your pool actually, because they would die. I didn't think about it from that angle, Don. I was thinking of it as like the, the, the hotel people like manipulating the guests. Oh, (laughs) that's right. That's right. I was was like, oh, that's probably not good for them. (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a it's behavioral economics they're using the love disc to increase your spending. exactly but yeah discus fish can be um very very expensive actually um some of like the more sought after like patterns and stuff um can can exceed like 500 dollars a piece um so like high-end discus fish breeding is like a hobby that can potentially be like i guess money making but it's also a lot of um uh, like they they can be very demanding they require like soft water and acidic water so like a lower ph which is like their natural habitat to breed well and things like that. Discus fish are like can definitely be more on the delicate side. So they're kind of like a pain in pain in the butt, like having a um, like a chinchilla. Um, I guess maybe a little bit. Cause like I, like we had one before Chris and I were married, and I hated it. It's so much work. It is so as much far work. as fish go, they're as far as like for, um, 
you know, I guess even to as far as cichlids go. Um, so there are some other demanding ones, but like discus fish are known for being like, they can be rather fussy with their water quality as far as I understand. And um, if you live somewhere like Florida where the water is very hard, like very alkaline, you'll have more trouble keeping discus fish. So that is the thing to take into account when you're planning a fish tank is to look into what your your natural water chemistry for your area is like and um, to figure out what like supplements you would need. So like where, <clears throat> where I'm at in Ohio has um, our water comes from the lake. I mean, obviously it's clean and stuff, but like, you know, I have a friend who lives an hour away who has like well water. So like, would that impact us be having different types of um, fish? It could, um, depending on like the aquifer and things like that. Um, I, I'm really not entirely sure about some, some places like your, your reservoir water and your well water are very similar. I think pretty much all the water in Florida is like basically what is hard water. Like it's alkaline. Um, but that might not be the case for Ohio. But like, so yeah, potentially though, if say your water. Well, no, most of our water comes from the actual. Do you know if it's like, do people consider it soft? Do you get like calcium scale on like your shower glass at all? Or do you not? Um, yeah, you, you do. Um, yeah, I guess I do. So, yeah, that might I be. I actually think, I think, I think I get more here. Cause like I grew up with Lake Erie as my backyard. I think I get more here than I did growing up. So yeah, I mean, that's like this is me totally guessing. I have no idea about the uh, water chemistry of the Great Lakes versus the aquifer. No. But um, <laughs> yeah, so if we assume that's like your water where you are is harder versus like where your friends is that has um well water, and we'll assume it's softer just based off nothing but me saying that. Um, you like might have better water to keep like African cichlids that like a harder, more alkaline water type. And maybe your friend would be better off with South American cichlids like discus fish that like a softer, more acidic water. All right. So, Don, we're going to go back to the original Goldine and Steaking. Why? We're not even good. We're not going to really address the horns. But tell, but what what's going on with these? Yeah. So Goldine and Steaking show a lot of commonality with uh, goldfish and koi, um, especially like fancy goldfish, which are still just goldfish. Is it, wait, is that a specific breed or is that just like a... No, like people, a, so like you've seen like your classic goldfish, right? And then you've seen the goldfish that are all like weird and smushed looking with like crazy tails. That's a fancy... Yeah, those are the real Those are the real ones, right? That's a fancy goldfish. Or are those ones the freak? Those ones are the Yes, freaks. those are the freak ones. So like the original, Got original it. goldfish is built like what you would call a comet goldfish, which is like also like typically the feeder goldfish, like just the classically built goldfish. Like you threw a ping pong ball in a tank at the fair. That's probably a comet, um, which is like your classic goldfish. Um, the original goldfish looks like that, um, but I believe they were originally more of a bronzish color, like a bronzish green. But through selective breeding, they were gold. And then you get into the, the many, many variants of um, the fancy goldfish, uh, which is what Goldine's body shape and Sea King's body shape more reminds me of, like that sort of squat body with the long fins. And that's because many of those fish, uh, those subspecies and those breeds, like the ranchus, I'm trying to think of like another one without butchering the, the Jap, the Arandas, um, without butchering the names for them. Those goldfish that have the very squat heads and the long fins were bred to be viewed from the top down in like either in like like uh porcelain bowls or like indoor ponds or things like that so like the the squat body with the long fins with a top down view you don't really notice how like fat and chunky they look you see how like it makes the fins look much longer and more elegant in contrast to the shortness of the body so that's why a lot of those goldfish look very very goofy um from the side goldine is a stupid weight goldine is is 33 pounds 
how big you said goldfish can get jesus christ would that thing even be able to swim <laughs> um, i mean it, it does so the largest <laughs> no but i mean like the weight to like body size there probably how long is goldine uh i think it's two feet yeah that's that's pretty wild um so the largest um the largest wild goldfish and wild in quotation marks because goldfish are actually invasive in quite a few american states is that because people flush them Yes, throw, flush them, throw them in ponds. Also, goldfish for a while were very popular as a form of fish bait. Um, so, you know, maybe you have a long day on the water, you have a few goldfish left, you're like, oh, well, you guys made it, and you toss them over the side of your boat. Goldfish are very hardy. They eat almost, like, they're very willing to eat, like, just plants and algae. Um, so they're very readily adaptable, and they're very adaptable to temperature ranges. Goldfish can survive under the ice. They can survive in warm water as well. They're very, uh, very hardy. Um, so the largest quotation marks wild goldfish ever caught on record was in South Carolina, and it weighed nine pounds. That's big fish. Yes. However, the largest koi. So if we say that Goldene and Sea King are closer to koi than goldfish, the largest ever koi caught. Um, a koi is like a species of goldfish are also in the carp family, but koi are a different member of the carp family. Um, it weighed 90 pounds. Okay. 90? 90. Well, oh, I'll give you... How big was it? Uh, the average weight for a koi, they can they can reach about twelve pounds, which is still like that's a pretty pretty hefty fish. I mean, they can get much 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 larger. I'll give you I'll give you a guess as to what Sea King's weight is. Forty two. Eighty six pounds. Okay, so Sea King would be pushing the record for the largest koi. Yeah, it's also four feet long. All right, that's actually probably about accurate for a really big koi. Um, koi can also live over two hundred years. Koi said that's typically in colder environments, which like if you think about it, some parts of Japan are quite cold. Um, and koi are very popular there. Um, and carp, a lot of species of carp, I believe koi are from like the Amur carp, I want to say. This is a guess, um, which is a very cold tolerant species. Like koi can live under the ice. If your fish pond freezes over and they're used to that level of temperature, um, they really can just like, they can just be fine. And that's why koi are not ideal for fish tanks. Because they live forever? Because they live forever and they get huge. But but you can have like that's more like you can have like koi ponds and not koi tanks, right? Yes. So the world's oldest koi fish, um, who I think he died last year, maybe actually everything I remember hearing about, uh, Hanako, um, was two hundred and twenty six. Good for Hanako. Well done. Lived a good life. So uh, we'll keep we'll keep rolling down, but we're that, this next one we put in specifically for you because it's one of your special boys. But quillfish. Yeah. So um. This is like a less conventional aquarium fish, but within saltwater fish, I feel like porcupine fish and puffers just in general are like pretty popular. I mean, like, I feel like like if people are getting a saltwater tank and they have ideas, like it's not uncommon for people to go towards the porcupine fish because like they're, they're, they have such great, cool personality. They're very um, distinctive. Do you need to be careful about the spines? So their spines are very, very sharp um, on a porcupine fish. That said, like, porcupine fish they're in the puffer fish family um you really don't want to upset them even though it's like funny when they're inflated um but um, it's definitely not good for them um it's it's a lot of stress for them to puff up like that um but they can get quite large um some species uh they're in the tetradontiformes which means like they have like four teeth um and they make like it forms like a weird beak so you do actually have to be careful of the beak um puffer fish and porcupine fish can be pretty uh, like aggressive in aquariums to their tank mates 
and they'll sort of just swim around and uh, try to bite them. They also seem to be pretty intelligent. Like, they can recognize uh, their keepers. Like they'll recognize who feeds them, and they'll come to the top to beg. I have been bitten by a porcupine fish before, too, Um, actually. Like, it, it basically swam over uh, when I was working on a fish tank. Um, we uh, we saw one of those last oh, week. Oh, did you? Yeah, we were at the we were at the shed in Chicago. Oh, was that like an aquarium there? The shed okay, aquarium. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we got to go see dolphins and like whales and all that crap. Oh, that's really cool. Um, so like a really large. But they had a uh, those porcupine fish are. Huge. They can get very large. Um, I don't think I think quillfish still outweighs them. I think quillfish, looking at like a foot and eight inches, um, and gets about eight pounds. Um, so that's a would be a massive porcupine fish, but they can they can definitely exceed a foot in length. I'm finding one thing from uh, the Florida Museum saying they can reach 36 inches, which I haven't never seen one quite that big, but they can definitely get pretty large, and the spines are definitely sharp, and they're very uh, and some species do also contain a poison. Yeah, and they cannot sh- they cannot shoot their spines like quillfish can. No, no, they cannot. Um, that said, like I have encountered I encountered a, a pretty big one in Baja that um we sort of just like. Uh, like got near it and it inflated and like the spines like through um very thick gloves just when I tried to move it out of the way like I could feel it um through like the spines are very sharp um so they can weigh up to actually four kilograms um so yeah they're pretty dead on for quillfish can you, if you could I I don't know how good either of you are are in math at, at right now but it says it can swallow uh two point six gallons of water who quillfish or an actual quillfish oh. 2.6 gallons? How much is gallons to pounds? Uh, water weighs 8 pounds per gallons, but seawater is like 8.5-ish or something like that. It's more. Let me suck. It can take on like 16 pounds of water. Yeah, that would be... Uh, so seawater is about 8.6 pounds per gallons. Okay. So, so it, this, like, it can... Quillfish, it says it's 8 pounds, but if it's fully inflated with the water, it can, t- it can get up to like 24 pounds. Yeah. Now, it also says that quillfish is not a good swimmer because of its round shape. Are porcupine... Obviously, they're not really swimming when they're inflated, but are they bad swimmers? Uh, yeah, porcupine fish and puffers as a whole are pretty poor swimmers. Um, they mainly use like their pectoral fins to sort of hover around. Um, and they rely a lot on their defenses, whether it be like spines or toxins. Like They don't really prioritize speed. Um, and they can put in little bursts of speed with their tail, but they're definitely not... Um, as agile as a lot of fish i think that that's accurate too for because quillfish looking at it doesn't really have any fins beside its tail fin yeah um quillfish is actually surprisingly fast from a base stat standpoint i will say and it does get swift swim as well it's it just goes full speed straight ahead don't ask it to change the directions yeah exactly (laughs) um but no i um but yeah uh, I do think uh, porcupine fish are a cool aquarium fish, um, but they're definitely a little more advanced. Um, and you really have to consider the tank mates. Like I said, they'll um, they they're they're definitely more on the aggressive side. You really can't keep them with invertebrates. Like if you had cool shrimp, um, they're going to eat those shrimp. Um, if you have like slow moving fish, like if you tried to keep one with like a uh, like a shallow water angler fish, like if you were a big lantern fan, um, they'll probably try to take a nibble on that fish. And they can definitely do a good bit of damage. Like, their beak is very sharp. All right, Don. We've got uh, a little bit of time, so we'll squeeze one more group in here. We were going to talk about loaches and specifically barboach. Yeah, I actually – I really like barboach. Um, barboach is pretty cute. Barboach is underrated. 
Yeah, um, Barboach is kind of cool. Um, I kind of like. I think loaches are sort of an underappreciated group of freshwater fish, and they're a very large group of freshwater fish. But they kind of get lumped in with catfish sometimes. Um, and there's kind of two loach body types. There's like the thick boys and the snaky boys. Um, if you look at like a uh, like you've probably seen the clown loach, um, and that's more of like like a sort of carp almost shaped loach. Um, and then there are things like the coolie loach, which are more much more snaky. And barboach borrows um, barboach really looks a lot like a um, like a uh, a coolie loach or a, a dojo loach. Um, if you look up a dojo loach, I think they look very similar to barboach. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, and that's also um, another very similar one is the weather loach, which actually have like a um, or call that because they're very reactive to changes in barometric pressure, and they'll sort of just hang out on the bottom, and then they'll go all crazy. Um, when there's weather moving through, and that's sort of like why, how they have their name. Um, but the largest loach is the imperial loach, um, which I think is a really, really sharp-looking fish. And it's actually just about the same size as a barboach, um, like 20 or so inches. Um, it can reach, like I think, like six pounds. Oh, yeah, and barboach is like four pounds or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, maybe three pounds, sorry, three kilograms. Yeah, so six six 6.6 pounds. Um, so pretty, pretty dead on in size. Loaches, uh, so they're they're often snake-like body. They're benthic fish. Um, they sort of have like a little barbell sort of mouth thing, like a catfish does. Um, some of them um, have like a labyrinth organ, or uh, like uh, at least some ability to metabolize um, like oxygen, like they can gulp air. For what purpose? Um, typically, to live in areas that have um, poor oxygen content. Um, so there's actually some loaches now that have been caught. I believe it's mainly like the dojo loaches have been found, um, have been caught in parts of Florida um, where they're invasive. They uh, have at some point become established and like areas with very low oxygen where maybe some native fish have trouble getting oxygen. They'll go up to the surface and take a gulp of air and then go back to the bottom and like diffuse that through their organs that way. Also, just sort of a fun loach I really like. I would recommend everyone looks up the Hillstream loach. Hillstream? Yeah, I think they're very cool. So some loaches live in very, very high oxygen water that's very fast-flowing, and their body shape makes them into sort of a suckerfish sort of deal. I think I used to have this. They're this... really cool, and they sort of shimmy about on the rocks. I, I yeah. know they're really nice at the Atlanta Aquarium. It has a very nice uh, display with Hillstream loaches. We did a regional barboach for this guy. A little, little bit of a little sucker, sucker barboach. I was going to say, this is also where we say that the scientific terms of thick boy and snaky boy are, are, uh, industry standard terms. Yes. You're looking, go into your local fish shops and say you're looking for the snaky boys. Wait, Madison, you didn't have a, uh, you didn't have a loach <laughs> in there with your, your turtle, did you? No, I wanted one. The store wouldn't sell me it. Cause they said, they said he would eat it. Probably would. Um, to be honest. Also some, uh, many loaches really are excellent snail predators. Um, they eat a lot. Of, they'll eat a lot of snails, like clown loaches, especially. Is that really something to brag about? Um, yeah. Well, no. If you have a fish tank and you're having problems with things like trumpet snails, which are um a very quickly reproducing snail that can really be a problem, um, get a loach. Um, they love eating snails and they're really good at it. Do they do they s- suck them out of the shells? I think they sort of crunch them. They have a small mouth, but I think they have strong jaws in there. Um, so I would say like definitely that's definitely a cool sort of biological control method for your uh your snail issues. How would someone get a snail issue in a tank? Typically, it, it comes with like getting things either secondhand or if you're doing a live plant situation, 
um, not doing like your due diligence, or sometimes it's just bad luck. Um, snails, especially when they're really small, are hard to spot, and some species are like asexual, so it only takes one. But if you get a snail, like in on, say you know, say you maybe you're setting up a plant to tank, and you get some plants. Maybe you didn't like fully check that root bundle on one of the plants, and a couple little baby snails slipped in. It only takes a couple, and by the time they've exited, and then they've been living in your substrate and your gravel for four months, eating leftover food. And then one day you turn your light on in the middle of the night and there's 50 snails. And now they're eating your plants and it's a whole thing. And then you get yourself a loach. All right. Well, Don, I think uh, I think we've covered quite a bit of ground here with the Pokemon. But I think we, we're about ready to head on to the wrap-up unless you've got one uh, anything else to add for uh, the, this topic. Not really. Just honestly, everyone listening, if you want to get a fish tank, I'd say go for it. Um, you know, Do your research. Don't, um, don't just impulse buy things. Um, but there's a lot of really great fish out there and there's a lot of, um, it's a, it's a great hobby and it can be as complicated as you want to make it. Perfect. All right. Well, let's on, let's head on to the closing. All right, everyone. Well, first I want to give a shout out to our new patron, Andrew. Thank you so much for your contributions. We really, really appreciate it. And all of our patrons, thank you all so much. And to all of our listeners, Thank you so much for listening and helping the show continue through the years. We're coming up on our fifth birthday. Woo! Team. Wow. So, yeah, that's uh, it's September, right, Madison? Yeah. Uh, so Lu- I know Lucas has been kind of tinkering away w- with a couple ideas, but we'll have a- a- another birthday special uh, episode for you all. So we'll-, we'll give you all keep keep you posted on that. Uh, we do want to mention again that Lucas and Don will be at Dragon Con over Labor Day weekend. Sure will. So uh, be sure to, if you're able to, go swing down to Dragon Con and check them out. Uh, there will be a good time. Do you know yet what you all are talking about? Um, Lucas will know more than I. I'm just trying to find a, like, so I guess it, it's a ma- there's a requiring mask, which sure, I'm all for it. But um, I'm trying to find, like, a good, you, I would imagine, I thought there was going to be plenty of, like, Pokeball-style, like, neck gaiters to wear, like, over a mask to keep the cost the, the cosplay together. I have been having a heck of a time. So if you guys see anything with it, uh, I would definitely appreciate a heads up. Or if any of our listeners know of Pokeball Neck Gators. Yeah, share they do the, the Magikarp Fisherman, which we is gotta, trying to keep it all together. We've got we to crowdsource this, Don. There we go. <laughs> yeah, if you know of any Pokeball Neck Gators, tweet at us. But thank you all so much for listening, and we will see you all in the next episode. Thank you all for coming out. 